looking at what it is they're eating and they get to work with them who are going and they even have taste testing sessions where they can decide what meals they want in space. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Hashim Farouk and you're listening to Timely Podcast. Um, so I'm Kristen. I work for the Canadian Space Agency as a robotics flight controller within um, the Mission Control Group. And that's part of a larger group that works jointly with NASA. So part of our team is based out of Houston as well. Uh, and our role is to operate the robotic systems on the International Space Station. This includes Canadarm2, Dexter, the mobile base and the robotic workstations. And another element of the job is actually training astronauts and flight controllers on how to use these systems as well. Uh, What are your daily tasks like on this job? So my daily tasks change um, pretty much every day, which is part of the reason why I was so attracted to this role. Uh, So for example, last week I was actually on console doing robotics operations. Um, So that involved sending commands to the space station and maneuvering all the robotics to support some of the science operations that we're doing up there. Uh, Leading up to that, there was a lot of preparation involved. So we run simulations uh, that help us to generate the procedures. And then we also do a full review of all of those procedures before we fly them. Um, So that's kind of the operations aspect of it. Um, Otherwise, I'm teaching. So preparing for those lessons and teaching them or supporting simulations with um, a much larger group of other flight controllers. And that's part of our training process. And then also just studying and and getting really familiar with the systems and getting better at the job as much as possible. Is this what you always wanted to do? Um, Not really, because I didn't know that it existed. (laughs) Uh Uh, So I, I knew that I wanted to work in space in some way, but I also had an interest in medicine. And then as I went through high school, I started learning more about engineering. And I realized that engineering was really something that appealed to me because it wasn't just the science that I was interested in, but it was also how to apply that science in different ways. So then I started looking into that a lot more. And then I became interested in robotics. And as I advanced through university and then started in my career, I just learned about these opportunities and I learned more about the jobs that were available to me. So it it definitely evolved as I studied and as I started working. What's been the most exciting project you've worked on so far? Oh gosh, Um, the most exciting project. I I think I would have to say the robotic refueling mission uh, just because I've been involved with it in different ways. So the robotic refueling mission is a project that um, is led by NASA Goddard, and it allows us to prove that we can use robotic systems to repair and refuel satellites on orbit. So this would help us uh, deal with all of the space debris that we have and help us to increase the, the lifetime of the satellites that we have on orbit rather than just launching an entirely new system. And the cool thing about it is that as my career evolved, the project evolved as well. So we just completed operations for phase three, which um, was the phase that I actually got to lead from the robo side. And uh, that meant writing the procedures and doing a lot of the organization and coordination with all of the centers that were involved. Uh, But for phase two, I was the engineering support lead when I was still working with MDA. And then for phase one, I was an analyst uh, and I was actually helping to deliver the, the control system modifications and parameters that we needed 
for the operations. So as the project evolved, my career kind of went with it. So it's been really neat since it's it's been like 10 or so years since I've been working on it. Oh. Um, <clears throat> I'm, uh, what do you think is currently a good idea for a startup? Because there's a lot of people that want to do like space exploration. And would you mm-hmm. think that's a, a profitable uh, market for a startup, especially because of SpaceX and other companies doing space exploration? It's really difficult um, to answer that question about what would be marketable, because from my perspective, I find that space exploration is something that that benefits humanity, and I've never really looked at it as, as something to make money off of, so to speak. Um, and. I completely agree, like SpaceX is doing really incredible things in terms of the way they've entered the market and how quickly they've been able to evolve and and develop over such a short time span when you you think of the bigger picture when it comes to uh, really working at the evolution of a space company. Um, But in terms of areas, like I think space exploration is a great way to get involved, but again, I, I see it as something that's more beneficial to learning about that and how we can move into that and how those those things that we learn from exploration can come back and you know maybe enter the medical robotics field like we've seen in the past so things that we've learned have benefited us down here or looking at the effects of space on the human body and how we can apply what we've learned there to help an aging or sedentary population here on earth Um, but in terms of other areas that i think um, are definitely interesting to look into that you're hearing more and more about are looking at the sustainability of space. So that's something that we're seeing here on Earth a lot more, but I don't think that we've explored all the options and possibilities when we look beyond our atmosphere. So I I think that's definitely an area that is going to require a lot more work and attention and just looking at ways to reduce the cost of space exploration and um, to find methods of, of reducing our launch volume so looking at utilizing 3d printing in space for example so you're just launching that system and then being able to evolve once you've entered the entered whatever orbit or um gotten to wherever it is you're going and then kind of growing from there and using that as a platform rather than having to make use of the launch volume to develop everything on earth and then move beyond that so that's kind of what, what I see there. But again, I, I don't see space as something that should be marketed. And that's my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, what's your opinion on the, the Mars the Mars mission? Do you think that it's viable or possible in the next like 30 years is what Elon Musk is saying, possible to colonize Mars? To colonize Mars in 30 years? <laughs> I think that that is very ambitious. But as I said, these are... These are things that we didn't really expect in terms of growth and how rapid it's been lately with um, you know the the commercial commercialization and and more of the the public companies entering the the field. So it's definitely something that um, I'm not sure of in terms of a timeline, but something that I would like to see in my lifetime, but not the colonization, just the ability to get there and to send humans there. Um, you know, we've we've seen that we're able to to send systems there, but we haven't really entered a, a point where we can say that it's a, a sustainable environment for humans. So I think there are still several steps that need to be taken, and there's still a lot to learn before we can 
a look at sending people there but then b colonizing mars is is a whole other story in my mind um have you worked on projects or know of projects that are being worked on either at the canadian space agency or nasa that are related to agriculture um so there is a lot being done on the space station right now uh, that's looking at the um the growth of vegetables on the space station and, and how possible that is uh, csa does have a project called tomato sphere um, that's looking at that as well so there are some things being done uh, but that's not my area of expertise so I, I know that people are working on it but unfortunately i don't know much more than that okay uh do you know what uh, astronauts eat in space because i know they eat rations but do they eat any fresh foods up in space that are delivered by rockets yeah so with the um the commercial resupply missions that have have come into existence in the last little while so um the spacex dragon and the cygnus vehicle from northrop grumman and even the htv missions from jaxa uh, those allow us to actually send fresh food up to the astronauts sometimes so there is the ability to have what we call late load items where um, we can send some some fruits up for example if that's something that they want uh, but we have seen that more recently where they're able to eat some some fresh food rather than just the rations and the dehydrated stuff that we're more familiar with and that we've seen more of in the past so the the astronauts all have a, a team that are dedicated to looking at what it is they're eating and they get to work with them before going and they even have taste testing sessions where they can decide what meals they want in space and um, and then they can work with them to, to determine, you know, what would be best for their physical well-being and for their health as well. Uh, but there has been an evolution in terms of uh, having access to more fresh food now that we have these vehicles that are going up there more often. Okay, on that note, what is the process of becoming an astronaut? Do you need a high level of education? So the process is different depending on which agency you're applying to. Um, but in general, yeah, there's a lot of schooling involved. So historically, we've seen that astronauts have gone on to pursue graduate studies. Um, a lot of the time, they have worked other careers before becoming astronauts as well. So they have that experience. Um, there are also astronauts with medical backgrounds. So they've become doctors and then applied to become part of the astronaut corps. So there is a lot of education involved. They're looking for well-rounded individuals, um, people that do have that experience that can contribute in different ways. And we've also seen an evolution there where if you look back to the shuttle days, a lot of the time astronauts were historically pilots because the shuttle needed to be piloted. But now as we're seeing things like the Crew-1 vehicle um, that SpaceX launched quite recently, um, you don't need that background anymore. It is still something that you'll you'll see a lot of astronauts have. They will go on to get their pilot's license or their scuba certification, um, things like that. But now they're also looking, uh, you know, you asked about colonizing Mars. And like, if you just think of a long duration mission in general, you're going to need a team that's able to look at things like agriculture. You're going to need somebody with a medical background. Um, you're going to need people that are experts in the mechanical systems and that are able to do those repairs because as we move further and further from the earth, you're going to need people that are able to actually maintain and manage the system that they're 
whether traveling on or living on or whatever the case may be. Um, so you'll definitely need experts in different fields and a lot of the time that does involve, involve higher education. Um, you're also looking at their ability to work well with people. When you think of being on the space station for six months with the same group of people, you know, similar to what we've all been experiencing in isolation as we face this global pandemic, uh, you realize how important it is to get along with the people that you're working with. Um, so that's definitely an aspect that comes into play as well. So the, the backgrounds of the astronauts, if you look at the current class now, are all very diverse. They're all coming from different areas, but one common thing you will see is that they have pursued higher education um, and they do have some industry experience sometimes as well to, to supplement that. What education is required uh, for you, for your specific role that you have right now? So I have a Bachelor of Applied Science. I did aerospace engineering at the University of Toronto. Um, and typically that is the background that's required. So within our group, you do need an engineering degree or at least the ability to, to get a professional registration as an engineer. Um, and I, I would say the majority of, of my team just has a, a bachelor. Some people did go on to graduate school and. Um, have masters and PhDs, but in general, you do just need the bachelor's of engineering. So like a computer science degree won't cut it? Um, it depends on the type of computer science that you did. Uh, and, and this is all outlined in the general requirements to applying to an engineering position within the government of Canada. So you'll see either the degree or an equivalent type degree. So if you can get that registration, then that that would count as well. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you have with your specific role right now? And how are you going to overcome it? Um, the biggest challenge? I think, you know, in general, you'll you'll see teams changing all the time. And I think in any job, not just my job or my role specifically, you're working with people around the world, you're working within your small team, um, you're not necessarily always going to agree on the way things are done, but um, the cool thing about this industry is that everybody has these common interests and passions and we know we're working towards a common goal, so it's easy to, to keep that in focus and to know that that's what we're working towards, but I, I think a challenge that comes with any job is just um, learning how to work with different people and, you know, being accommodating and being able to adjust and being able to take feedback and to evolve as the industry evolves and as the team evolves is always very important. Um, but in terms of technical challenges, the space station is an old system and um, I, I think in the coming years we're going to see evidence of, of these two very contrasting things where we're seeing technology evolve very quickly, but we're also still trying to maintain technology that's been around for a while. So being able to work um, in those two realms, I think is going to be something that we'll, we'll face in the, in the coming years. It's going to be a bit of an interesting challenge. Has artificial intelligence been playing a big role in the uh, space industry right now? I wouldn't say it's playing a big role yet. Uh, I think Right now, we're looking at ways to take steps towards AI. So there is a lot that needs to be done. Um, and that is something that we are slowly working towards. So for example, we've recently upgraded the software on 
uh, the robotic systems on the space station to do more automated operations. So that's Mac, if you're interested in looking into, into it more, it's the um, MSS application computer, and it's looking at automating some of the things that we previously commanded as operators from the ground. So that's definitely a necessary step as we move towards AI. And I think it's something that we're going to see more and more of as we look towards you know, the Artemis program and the role of Gateway and specifically from CSA's perspective, CanadaArm3 and how that's involved there. So all of that is still in, in the pretty early phases of development and design, but we're definitely going to see more AI in the future, but it's, I wouldn't say it's playing a big role yet, but it definitely will in the future. Uh, what's one common myth about your profession or field that you might want to debunk? One common myth. I don't know that there <laughs> that there are any myths. I think something that is not widely known is that we do have um, a full control center for the robotic systems just outside of Montreal and Saint Hubert, Quebec. So at the Canadian Space Agency headquarters. Um, we actually have a fully integrated control center with Mission Control in Houston. And that's something that I find surprises a lot of people and something that I want to bring attention to because we've worked really, really hard to get that capability and to have the ability to do what we are, are doing now, um, which is having this, this subset of robotics flight controllers that are based out of the CSA. So we have Canadians operating these robotic systems um, from this facility that's based out of Canada. So uh, it's not really a myth, but it's something that is less known than I would like it to be. Do you think there'll ever be space launches from Canada in the near future? That I'm not certain of because there there's a lot happening that I'm not necessarily completely aware of. I think there's a lot of growth in the industry and I, I would love to see Canada increase their capability when it comes to our presence in the space industry, but um, I'm not certain of where we are in terms of launching from Canada just yet. What advice would you give to a high school student or a university student who wants to pursue a career like yours? Um, there's a few things that uh, I would definitely, you know, kind of go back and tell my former self, but also something that I would, I would like for students now to know. and. Uh, I think the one benefit that this generation has is the access to information that I didn't have when I was going through the same decision-making process. Uh, there's so much information out there. And, you know, when I was applying to university, I didn't really know much about pursuing engineering as either a degree or as an eventual career. So I asked a lot of questions and I tried to seek out as much of that as I could, but it was harder to find then than it is now with access to social media and podcasts and things of the sort. Um, so ask those questions and, and keep your options open and try to find something that you're really interested in and engaged in. Um, I, I found that my career was more driven by finding something that I not only thought could make a difference, but also something that I was really happy doing. And, uh, you know, I was less motivated by trying to find the the career that would get me the most money or, um, you know, the career that my parents felt would be best for me. Not that they don't think this is best for me. They're, they're both um, very happy that I've taken the path that I have. Uh, but I, I found that it was really important for me to keep my options open and, and to ask those questions and to take on challenges that made me a little bit uncomfortable. But 
also not to to isolate my focus to one specific thing. Um, like it's good to set your sights on something, but it's also good to keep your peripheral vision on on things that you might not necessarily know exist right now. Are there any opportunities that the Canadian Space Agency offers for students to apply for? Yeah. Yeah, so there are internship opportunities that are open to students. Um, I know they definitely exist for university students. I'm not totally certain about high school, um, but there are programs where we partner with uh, different Canadian universities to make these positions available. So uh, we see tons of students coming through the CSA, which is amazing because they're bringing in fresh perspectives and they're coming from different places and it's really neat to have that diversity in, in the agency and, and to just have those people coming through and get those opportunities. Um, there's also the ENG2 development program. So it's an opportunity for new graduates to apply um, to engineering positions within the agency and to work in different groups so that they get exposed to all of the different jobs and groups that we have uh, operating at the CSA, and then they can move on and, and evolve from that as well. Okay, uh, has coronavirus affected your job at all? It definitely has, um, but surprisingly in, in a positive way, I think we've really proven that we can adapt to any situation. Uh, so I am mostly teleworking, but our team at CSA, when it comes to the IT setup, has been phenomenal at getting us set up to support simulations from home and to have the infrastructure that gives us access to the software that helps us to write our procedures from home as well. So I have had to go into the office to do real-time operations. That's the one thing that uh, we do need to be in the control center for. Um, but it's definitely taught us to work with each other in different ways and to be able to adapt to a constantly changing environment. So I think it's also brought the team closer together in a sense because uh, we were already remote when it comes to working with our, our counterparts in Houston. Um, but now that everybody is remote, it's bringing the whole team together. So it doesn't feel like the Canadians are separated anymore. It feels like we're all operating in this remote environment, um, which has been really nice in terms of getting us to, to you know understand what it's like to not have those hallway conversations and to not be in, in the meeting room and to be remotely tied in. So it's it's had an effect, but I think it's been all positive things so far. Is there something that I should have asked or mentioned that I did not mention or ask? Uh, I think you asked some great questions. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of what else I would say. Uh, I guess to go back on the question you asked about advice, actually, I would add not to be afraid to ask for opportunities that you become aware of. Um, I think one of the things that I was always kind of afraid of was hearing no. I, I think we all are, we're afraid of that, that rejection being told no, but it's actually not a bad thing. Um, asking those questions is only really gonna help you take a step further in a lot of cases because uh, sometimes you're you're saving the work and the effort of the person that's trying to fill a role. So just by asking that question and showing your interest, you might open yourself up to a possibility that that didn't exist to you before. And if somebody says no, it's not really a negative thing. You're not being um, put in in a worse situation.
situation. You're really just staying in, in the same place that you were when you started. But if anything, you've planted that seed for, for a future opportunity. Um, but otherwise, I, I thought I thought the, question, the questions were great. I'm not sure if there's anything else that I would add um, beyond what we've talked about already. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was my pleasure. And- Thank you for listening to Timely Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.